All right, you can take your Bibles together with me this morning and be turning to the book of Luke in chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I, I love these songs that we sing this time of year. We probably ought to designate a day in the middle of the summer and sing them. <laughs> They're good. But we sang, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. And there's a verse in there that says this, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. And we would have to agree with that statement in that song. And it goes on to say, For hate is strong and mocks this song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And I've often thought about that message to, that the angels at Jesus' birth. And we've not seen that except in our own personal experience. And that is peace in our heart, knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and then the setting of the Lord's New Testament church, where we can experience that in this setting. Peace. There is peace on earth and goodwill toward men. At least at Emmanuel there is. And I thank God and praise Him for that. And then we know that one day that will be a total reality. And it's all because Jesus has come to this earth and come with the mission he did. Okay, in the book of Luke, in chapter number one, we'll take our text. Luke chapter number one. And you might remember that, I don't know, I think it was week before last, I mentioned to you that where I'd been preaching a little series from that verse of Scripture in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, I just didn't want to let that theme go. I, you know, I thought this is going to be a time when everybody expects the preacher to do a Christmas theme from the pulpit. And uh, then it dawned on me about a verse uh, that's here in the book of Luke in chapter number 1. And so that's what I want to share with you all this morning from Luke chapter number 1. But now before I, I read that verse of Scripture, uh, I want to just remind everybody of that uh, verse of Scripture that I've been preaching from. And I will take it right back up again until uh, I'm satisfied that I've covered it as well as my feeble little mind can cover it. And that is in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, talking about what Christ did. You'll remember it says, Who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now, I've preached from the first part, and I want to remind you there are two parts to that verse. It's pretty obvious, because there's a little word and in the verse, and then it says what else that He came, that He died for. 
he died for us to redeem us. But then the second part of it is, and purify unto himself. So there's two ways of looking at that verse. The first way would be, as we would look at the verse, the us. That's us. As we would look at that. But then there's another part to that verse. And it says, as it has viewed his redemptive work from his own standpoint, what he came into this earth to do. So I guess this morning, instead of uh, sharing with you why Jesus died, I'll just change that a little bit to why Jesus came. Why Jesus came. And we would all know that it's all for the same purpose and reason that He came to this earth. So I'd shared with you that I'd found this passage in the book of Luke that goes along with it. So it's in verse number 17. But I want to share with you a little bit prior to reading the verse. If you're familiar with Luke chapter 1, you know that there was a priest, and his name was Zacharias, and his wife was Elizabeth, and they, she was barren, she had no children, and they had both reached an old age. And uh, so Zacharias was ministering, doing his duty in the temple, and in the first part of the book of Luke, it tells us that it was his job to burn incense on the altar of incense while all the people were praying. That's what it tells us that he was doing. And of course, I'm sure most of you know the story really well, how that while he was there, an angel appeared unto him. It was Gabriel. It was the same angel that appeared unto Mary. And so that angel appeared unto him and told him that his wife was going to bear a son. His wife was going to bear a son. Now that's the miracle in it. Of course, uh, even in this chapter, it tells us that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing, literally nothing, is impossible. And so, because of his uh, doubting and unbelief, we know that the Bible tells us that he was stricken mute, couldn't speak. He could, wasn't able to speak until time came for them to name the, the little boy that was born. Of course, that little boy that was born was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was born unto them. And so, here is this little verse that's found in that. And I, I probably will share some more from this first chapter with you. But I want you to note with me verse 17. Talking about John, and he shall go before him, or go before the Lord. He was the forerunner. The Bible calls him that. He was the forerunner of Jesus. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Oh, if you read the story, all the scripture account of Elijah and his ministry, you're impressed with that. He shall come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just. And here's the part I want to emphasize this morning. This statement that is found here. Because it goes with that verse in Titus that I've been preaching from. And here's what it says. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And I want you to think about that statement in light 
of Titus 2.14 where as we are making the transition to the second part of that verse where it says, and he came to purify unto himself a peculiar people. I want you to know this morning, his people are peculiar and they are zealous. I want you to know that. I want you to think about that. And so we find that the primary part of John's ministry was to make ready a people prepared uh, for the Lord. Now, the Bible tells us that in God's plan, it tells us this in the book of Galatians. You don't have to turn there, but it says that Jesus came to this earth in the fullness of time. It was all in God's plan. In the fullness of time, Jesus was born of woman and born under the law. And so the Bible tells us that. That's God's timetable. And, and I, want, I want to say this about our thoughts related to the Christmas story. We think about that and this time of year. We ought to think about it all the time, I think. But we think about it this time of year. And I, I want you to know that most of the world thinks about Christ's birth and that's all. There's not any other thoughts with most people. Of course, we're different because we know this is just one little part in God's overall plan. Just one part in that. And I don't mean to minimize the birth of our Savior when I say that. Because there are some of the most awesome things that can be drawn from that story of the birth of our Savior. Just so many things can be drawn from it to bless our heart and to instruct us in the way of of righteousness. So I don't mean to minimize that, but I mean to say this, that when we view it, and we view it as God's children, we should view it in the total overall picture of God's plan for the ages, which started before the foundation of the world. In the fullness of time, Jesus came to this earth and was born. In the fullness of time. And so when we look at it in light of all time, all, all of the time, we understand that one day there's going to be the most wonderful things that take place as a result of Him coming. So this morning, the meaning of His coming to this earth and, uh, and what we can see in that. Now, I know that John is not usually included in the Christmas story. John was not usually included in the Christmas story. Uh, but I want you to know, if you carefully read the first chapter, and of course the second chapter of John is that famous passage that talks about Christ coming to this earth and the birth of Jesus. And I understand that that part of it is going to be read tonight. And so I'm kind of skirting that a little bit to share with you things that are in, in, in the first chapter here. But I know John's usually not in the Christmas story. How many of you have ever seen a uh, Christmas program in a church where John was in it? I've never have, and I've been I've been around for a long time, but I've never seen that. I've never witnessed that. He's usually not in it, but I want you to know this morning God put him in it. God put him right smack in it, and we find that uh, related to us from this first chapter. I'd like to point out, if I could, just a, a few things that are notable in this chapter. I found verse 7 of the chapter uh, interesting because it says about uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth 
that they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both now well stricken in years. Both well stricken in years. I want you to know there was a surprise in Zechariah's household, you know, for that to happen. But uh, this was the condition uh, of Elizabeth. She was barren. She couldn't have children. And by the way, she was too old at this point to have children. Reminds you of Sarah, doesn't it? In the Old Testament, uh, Abraham and Sarah and that wonderful promise that God made to them related to the birth of the of Isaac, and so that's a notable thing that is found there. Another thing that I found notable is in the 13th verse of the chapter where it says this, But the angel said unto him, unto Zacharias, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now, you, you might wonder, what was the prayer that was heard? I think the verse tells us that it was related to a child. It was related to a child. And so I believe this is a couple in the New Testament that wanted a child. And, and the angel is telling him that his prayer has been heard. And so there are a lot of things that are interesting in, the, interesting in this. And it says that uh, in the 24th verse, And Elizabeth conceived and hid herself for five months, saying, in verse 25, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein He looked on me and took away my reproach among men. And then, here's the interesting thing. I shared with you that John is usually not included in the story. But the very next verse, in verse 26, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee uh, named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Right in the middle of the story. And not, not only that, but when that, is, when that account is given about what happened with Mary and the angel's message to Mary, it goes right straight back to uh, about John. So John is right in this. John is in, in this account that is given. And so I'm just going to read a portion of that because that has to do with the birth of the Savior. And I want you to, I want you to notice maybe verse 31 on down through 35. And here's what it says. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, and therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now is that a miracle or what? Oh, I tell you what, that ought to just thrill our heart. And then it goes right back into the story of John. 
Because the very next verse, verse 36, And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, the angel, it's the same angel, Gabriel, shall also conceive a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who is called, who is called barren. For with God nothing is impossible. Now the next time, uh, a Christian friend, that you're thinking about something that you just think there is absolutely no hope. There's no way in this world that, in, that this could ever change or could ever be right or done right. I want you to remember that statement that is made. And it's made right in the middle of the story of Baron Elizabeth, Elizabeth bearing a child in her old age and Mary who had never known a man to, be, to conceive with the Son of God. Think about that. There's nothing that is impossible with God. And then then this chapter goes on to tell us this. And Mary, uh, in verse 39, if you're following along in your Bible, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. She goes to visit her and she stays with her If I'm not mistaken, she probably stayed with her until time for the child to be born. And it came to pass in verse 41 that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary... Now, I want you to notice this verse. I just think this is most awesome. When Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. The baby leaped in her womb. Why did the baby leap in her womb? I'll read on down a little bit farther. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Did Elizabeth know that Mary was carrying the Savior? She sure did. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord should come unto me. For lo, in verse 44, For lo, as soon as the voice of salutation sounded in mine ear, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. For joy. Think about that. You say, but preacher, that's kind of silly for you to think that a little unborn baby could be so touched by the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit from his birth, the Bible tells us. Now sometime out there in the in the future on Wednesday nights, of course I uh, introduced a thought about here a few weeks ago about uh, how the question is often raised about little babies who who die in infancy and uh, the aborted babies. What about them? And what would it be like out in glory? when we get there and uh, we meet those babies, aborted babies. And I, and I shared a passage of Scripture. You ought to come to Wednesday night, the deepest Bible study we do. It is so deep. Uh, most of these subject matters, uh, the preacher just goes on and on and on <laughs> with the study. I, you know, we try to leave no stone unturned. But anyway, I made some remarks also in that same chapter in the Old Testament talks about the feeble. And have you ever wondered about 
uh, people who pass away and they're totally feeble and they're just uh, non-functioning. And uh, Tamara, I thought of Tommy, you know, for a long time. You know, he hadn't been able to tell me what he wanted to tell me, but I could read his face. I knew what he was thinking or whatever. And every time he was here, I'd say, Tommy, I love you. And 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 he it would just be a grunt, but I knew what he was trying to say. He couldn't say it and everything. But are all those uh, all those issues going to go away? They sure will, brother Moore. You're going to throw that cane away, brother. And I'm <laughs> I'm telling you, you just won't need it anymore. And uh, I, and I, I see a walker back there. There won't be no walkers in heaven either, you know. But anyway, uh, you know uh, the baby leap. In the womb, and of course, in the future, there's a question that came: What about the age of accountability? You know, we read about that or see it, whatever. And most of what you would read about the age of accountability, there is an age of accountability. And you parents who have raised children, you brought your children to the age of accountability a little quicker than probably worldly parents would have done, and it's teaching them that. But some people say, well, what's that got to do with salvation? I'm going to teach on that subject. And I, I can remember in times past talking about how that God could save a little child that could not make a profession of faith. I just want to remind you that John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit from his birth. Nothing's impossible, amen? Nothing's impossible with God. And so that's an interesting subject, and it's coming sometime in the near in the near future. And forty five says, "And blessed is she that uh, believeth, for there shall be a performance of these things which were told her of the Lord." And so that's talking about the meeting between the two of them. Then I want to remind you that, of course, the story switches back, and John was born, and and the people around him wanted to name him Zacharias. And Zacharias, not, well, remember, he couldn't talk. But all at once he was able to talk, and the Bible says his tongue was loosed, and he said the baby's going to be called John. That's what God said. God said his name was going to be called John. And then it picks up the story of John again in verse 76, and I'll just share that with you right quick. And thou, child, shalt be called a prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare His way. And I want, I want you to note that real carefully. To prepare His way. To give the knowledge of salvation unto His people. Now there they are, His people. By the remission of their sin. Through the tender mercies of our Lord, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to them that walk in darkness, that sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, and was in the desert till his day, the day of his showing unto Israel. So that's the little bit of the story of John that we find in, in this chapter. And so we are forced to see that when Jesus came, why did He come? He came because He had a mission. And of course, if you ever have opportunity, look up in your New Testament. Some of them are marked that way. Mine is the mission of Christ. And it will thrill your heart when you read and study 
uh, about this. His mission in coming. I want to just share with you a few verses of Scripture related uh, to that. The first one is in the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to turn there and I'm going to uh, read from Hebrews in chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And this is Christ. Why did He come? Why did He come? Now, listen to this. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. For as much then as there is, as, as, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, that's us, partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same, that through death He might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. You see, Jesus came to die. We say, but preacher, we're talking about His birth. But He was born to die. He was born to die. I remember hearing a song. Uh, I think it was called from, from the cradle to the cross to a crown. That's the story of Jesus. Why did He come? He took upon Himself flesh and blood as we, so He could die for us. That's just awesome. And I love what it says to destroy him that had the power over death, that is the devil. You might say, well, death is not destroyed, Jeff. It's still our enemy, as the Bible says. And the Bible says that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Jesus is going to do that, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's still here. It's still a part of that. But I got good news this morning. It's not going to be permanent. It's just a temporary thing. And any of you have ever been to a committal service I was leading, and many of you have, I usually have a little fun with the funeral directors, and I tell them, I look them in the eye, and I say, one of these days the Lord's going to put you out of business. And of course they laugh about that. One of them even said one time he's going to put you out of business too, and I said, oh no. I'll be preaching all throughout eternity. <laughs> the good news. And he says to destroy the devil and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now you know, I've had a unique experience related to that. And here's what my experience has been. Without calling anybody's name or even making reference in such a way that you would know who it might be. Over the years, I've had many opportunities to go in a hospital room and visit someone, and the doctor had said, you're not going to make it. From a medical standpoint, you're just not going to make it. And you know what? You'd be surprised how open and how honest people will be when they're getting ready to die. And there's nobody in that room but the preacher. You'd be surprised. I'll never forget one lady. And it haunts me. I went to visit her. She had been for many, many, many years a member of the church. And she'd been faithful. And she was uh, about to pass from this earth. And she said, Preacher, I'm scared to death. I said, Why? She said, I'm afraid to die. And I said, no Christian or something like that should ever be afraid to die. Seriously. 
She said, but I just don't know if I'm saved or not. And I talked to her the best I could. But I ended up leaving her and her still, not knowing whether or not she was saved and being afraid to die. And she died that way. And I've thought about her. I don't know, maybe she really was. You know, we can have doubts. She might have been. I hope she was. But over the years, I've had so many people to open up and say, Preacher, please pray for me. I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death. Go out into eternity. I'm afraid. And of course, most of those people were people who had, ne- had neglected their soul all of their life and had come to that point. But it says here, I'll read that verse again, verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And that's what it is. It's a bondage. It's a bondage. And so that's an awesome verse. And that's why Jesus came. He came ultimately to deliver us from that. For verily He took not on Him the nature of angels, but He took on Him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved Him to be made like unto His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, and make reconciliation for the sin of the people. For in that He Himself has suffered being tempted, tried, He is able to succor or help or aid them that are tempted. You see, anytime you get on your knees and you cry out to the Lord, I want you to know you have one that can help you. It was not that he needed to experience those things in order to know, because he knows all things. But he wanted us to know that he's experienced those things in all points. In all points. That's an awesome passage. Why did Jesus come? That lets us know some degree uh, of that. And uh, Paul said this uh, in, first, in the book of First Timothy, this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Jesus came to die for sinners. And Paul went on to say, of whom I am chief. He came to die for sinners. You say, well, the Christmas story, he came to be born uh, in, a, in a manger, in a stable. Yes, he was born in a manger, in a stable. But he came to die for sinners. He came to die for me, and I know I know that for myself personally. And so I want to share with you this one. In Romans in the 10th chapter, Romans chapter 10, and uh, these words, they're powerful, they're wonderful. Here's what it says. But what saith it? The word is nigh to thee, beginning in verse 8. Even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, the same Lord over all and rich and all that call upon him. 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? I want to tell you all something about John the Baptist in the Christmas story. He came to this earth as a heart-turning ministry. Now you would say, but preacher, I know that our hearts are changed by effectual grace. You preach that all the time, and boy do I ever, because I believe it. That's the only thing that will change a heart. You can go out here to people who don't know the Lord, and you can shame them and shame them. You can do whatever you want, it won't change. If you're here this morning, or in the fellowship hall, or listening by social media, if you've not been saved, all the words from any pulpit, anywhere, or from anyone witnessing to you, will not change you apart from the heart-changing grace of God. That's the only thing that will work. You say, well, preacher, why do you preach it? Ha! I preach it because the Bible said, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. And I know that my Lord has chosen the Word to minister to the hearts of those He intends to save. And so you may be here today, or you may be listening somewhere, and you might be sensing that the Lord's will is to save you and change your, your life. But you know what? He chose ministry to do that. It, that's... You say, well, what's the lesson in John? Well, he came to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He came to do that. He came to make people uh, ready and prepared for the Lord. John's ministry pictures the gospel ministry of all time. That's what it's all about. I want to tell you, we have some folks who, they don't think much of their church. It's just a fact. It's always been that. It's always been something that I've noticed and uh, grieved over for 40-something years that I've been a pastor. There are people, by their actions, they don't care much for the ministry of a church. I want you to know, just as God chose this little baby John to be born in a miraculous way, and to, His ministry to be to make way of the Lord and to prepare people for him, so it is true of every New Testament church on the face of this earth. That is what it's about. I want to tell you something. This is not a boastful statement, but I love my church. I really do. I love it because I love the Lord, I love His Word, and I love what the ministry of the church is supposed to be. That is reaching out there to those whom the Lord is dealing with to prepare them. I want you to know Jesus came to prepare a people for Himself. For Himself. And so, we can tie that together. Let's tie it together with Isaiah chapter 40. If you want to turn back there with me, I'm going to read some verses from Isaiah and the 40th chapter. And uh, here's what it says in chapter number 40. I'm going to start reading in verse number 1. See, in chapter... In the book of Isaiah. If you're interested, the book of Isaiah makes a transition right here. This is the second half of Isaiah. And I'll tell you something interesting about 
this second half of Isaiah. In the second half of Isaiah from chapter 40 on, this second division, is Israel is spiritual Israel. Israel is about us. One day I'll teach that from the book of Isaiah. I've wanted to do it for years and I remember when I was in Bible college I had to do what was called an Isaiah paper. And boy, I tell you what, it'll light your fire. And um, the reason I've not is because I, I'm, I won't live long enough <laughs> to go through the book of Isaiah. Maybe one day I'll just take the highlights and go through there. But I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith God. Speak comfortably uh, to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and her iniquities are pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for her sin. Verse 3, you're going to recognize what it's talking about immediately. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. You say, preacher, what is that? That's the heart-turning ministry of John the Baptist. And I want you all to know something. It's the heart-turning ministry of the New Testament church and of every preacher of the Gospel. That's what it is. And the Bible would bear that out very clearly. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, I'll read some verses there. I'll begin reading in the 11th verse. And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for, listen to this, the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, which is His church, till we all come in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto the perfect man, unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, What is that? That is the heart-turning ministry of the Lord's church. That's what it is. Not only did God choose little old John, but, but God has chosen all of us too to accomplish the same thing, the exact same thing. And so that's what we do. And we, uh, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now I want to make some closing statements about that being prepared. I read somewhere one time years ago, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Do you all realize how true that is? Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And then I read this somewhere, and it's so true, that all of our lifetime is preparation to meet the Lord. All of it. You say, but preacher, I'm not even a Christian. I'm not even saved. I've done no such preparing. I want to tell you all something this morning. Every single one of us are going to meet the Lord. Like it or not. That atheist out there that don't even believe in God, 
guess what he's doing? He's preparing to meet him. The Bible says, appointed unto man once to death, and then the judgment. Every day, every hour, every minute of my life and your life is making preparation to stand face to face with Jesus Christ. And it's going to happen. There's no way around it. There's no way to avoid it. It's going to happen. So John's ministry, how does he fit into the Christmas story? Well, God is almighty and God could bring Jesus into this world and God could prepare, could change the hearts without any help from anybody. But guess what He's done? He's chosen not only to use old John the Baptist, but to use us here today too. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's what the ministry of our church is all about. And I thank God for it. And I thank God that He's let us be a part of that, all of us. Father, we praise You and thank You for this opportunity to look at John in the Christmas story. And He's there. He is there just as plain as can be. And we thank You, Lord, that You raised Him up. We thank You for the miracle surrounding His birth. We praise You for Your power. We praise You for Your wisdom. And I pray, O oh God, You'd speak to our hearts this morning as we sing a closing number. In Jesus' name and for His sake we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me now as Aaron leads us?